Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Rob. Well, guys, it's uh, it's great to be back. Uh, good to have the kids yeah. in the house again uh, at play in the old podcast world in the studio here in Cairnport, Saskatchewan. How was your guys' winter break? I know we had a you know we had a podcast last week, but that was like December thirteenth when we recorded it. So it has been a while since we've been together. Uh, any highlights that you guys want to share with our listeners, Dan? How about you? What 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 went on in your Christmas break? Oh, we had a great break. Um... Actually, this year felt a little longer than usual. Sometimes it's, you know, we go away for two or three days and you <laughs> rush in some visits with family and back you come. But this time we had a little more time. We we ended up with three different family groupings uh, oh, wow. on uh, like two or three days with each one and felt like we got time with people. But mm. probably my highlight was uh, was just being uh, stuffed into houses with lots of people. You know, okay. one of the things with family get-togethers is you just cram everybody in. And I used to actually dread that quite a bit in my okay. younger years, yeah. kind of partly not look forward to Christmas holidays for that right. reason. And and uh, for some reason in my old age, I'm starting to enjoy being crammed all in and you're uncomfortable sleeping quarters. Up. And yeah, <laughs> That's right. So how many people? Like you're talking like 20 people in a house kind uh, of thing? Well, yeah, it depends on the place, you yeah. know. But um, yeah, probably 15 or 20 in, in wow. one home. And then another home was just, a, you know, a, a very small apartment with five of us in there. But, yeah. you know, but just crammed in that space. But very it's all cool. fun. Very cool. And you feel rested? Well, you know, with all those uh, sleeping quarters, tight sleeping quarters, we didn't sleep super well, but I do. I, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Back, refreshed in a different way, I guess, coming back and into the... Yeah, yeah. It, it, you, you have a lot of fun, uh, to, or we do, together, so it, it was great. Yeah, cool. Je- uh, Dan, uh, <laughs> Jeff, how about you, man? Uh, what, what, got any highlights you want to share? Uh, yeah, we had a great week with uh, with family, with all the kids in Winnipeg. Uh, we got in our annual meeting and uh, did uh, <laughs> nice. recap the highlights and uh, planned our vacations for next year. That was good. And then uh, Pearl and I went off to Cancun for a week. So that wow. was great just to relax with sun and sand. and Ice uh, and sugar sand. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. And and uh, I think the highlight for me was just hearing uh, my wife talk about how she can't remember a time that she had a vacation where she could actually just unplug and mm. unwind and relax mm. because, uh, you know, when we get together with family, she's usually the one who's organizing things right. and yeah. figuring out uh, what the activities are. And usually there's a spreadsheet that she'll yeah, create yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for everyone with a schedule for the week. Uh, but there were it was a uh, spreadsheet-free week nice. uh, in Cancun. You so were taking was, care of her great. this time. Yeah. Well, no, not even because, like, I mean, you go there, It's it was an all-inclusive, so every one mm. of your needs is being met. Nice. So it was... Um, uh, yeah, it was a great week away to, uh, yeah, just to relax in the sun. Yeah, in the tail end, you caught a bit of a virus and you brought it back to Canada. Yeah, um, yes, I did. I uh, I do have a bit of a cold. So the normal dulcet tones of my voice are somewhat uh, lower <laughs> this week. So my uh, apologies a bit of to, our, white. to our listeners. <laughs> I'm coming home to Canada. Yes, I am. Barry White. <laughs> So how about you? You got highlights or how was your? Yeah. I mean, we had a pretty low key because our our family had Christmas early. Uh, We had a wedding early in December and all the, you know, our kids and their husbands came back and we had it then. So, uh, so we decided uh, that we were going to host a whole bunch of 
new Canadians in our home mm. on New Year's Eve day. So on the 31st, uh, we, we had a whole bunch of Nigerians come into Mushta uh, yeah. lately. Um, they're going to school here. There's a great school here in uh, Sask Polytech. And uh, they've just been showing up at our church as well. And so we've been getting to know them and, and thought, and I just said, hey, guys, you ever had a Canadian Christmas dinner? And uh, they said, no. I said, well, we would love to have you all over. So we had like a dozen of them over to our house, Fun. hosted them. Um, I mean, I went ahead of online and I'm looking up researching like what kind of spice do they like? And turns out like they eat a lot of basil and thyme and bay leaves and whatnot. Sure. Um, and then like super hot food as well. Right. Like peppers are huge in, in Nigeria. So, but I just want to make sure like the food wasn't too bland or whatnot. And uh, so <laughs> I, I'm the cook in the house. So uh, that morning, uh, that Sunday morning, I'm, I'm like cooking uh, turkey and everything, getting everything ready and then running to church. And then we had to shuttle them all because they, don't, they right. don't have Canadian driver's licenses yet. Yeah. And they don't have vehicles. And so we had to get them to our house and whatnot, I would shuttle them there, ate, had fun danced it just it was so good and then i shuttled them home afterwards so oh, that was that pretty was cool highlight of the season that was yeah, a hoot. Yeah. yeah yeah and just you know learning so much about their culture and their stories and uh spending time together neat um so uh now it's on them they have to host some uh there you go some nigerian meals and feasts and we'll, we'll come and hang out at their places as well so <laughs> um yeah so that was awesome hey a uh, question for you guys um we're talking about the new year. Um, I'm sure you're coming back and you've got your planners out and you're figuring out what's life going to look like in the next uh, next little while. How, how do you guys schedule your life? Do you guys got a system? You got a, a, a way that you kind of put your life together? Uh, on a, let's start with you, Jeff. You, I mean, you obviously, you're a spreadsheet guy, annual meetings and all these sorts of things with your family. What do you do? Well, personally, I'm a getting things done guy uh, okay. by David Allen, uh, the book that he wrote on a, a system of... Um, of organizing and tracking all the tasks and things that, that you've done. And so I used to use uh, Evernote mm. to, to track my things. And he has a, um, I, I mean, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. He has a system of of tracking the tasks and sort of putting a priority that uh, to them. And just to make sure that nothing gets uh, gets lost. If a task comes into your mind, you have a way to log it and track it and make mm. sure that you're mm. going to follow up on it and get it done. And But Evernote, uh, I recently dropped that, and I use an app called Nirvana. And oh, uh, ooh, so, yeah, I know it Buddhist. sounds, yeah. uh, it does sound Buddhist. So <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I pray over it before I open it up. But uh, I use that to track my tasks. And, uh, and at times, sort of when I get uh, really busy in life, then I, uh, I sort of go back to the getting things done church and repent and get back, uh, you know, and diligently <laughs> use the system. Uh, my use of it sort of drops off during the summer months, say, for instance. But yeah. um, but that's how I get things done. I recently, with uh, one of my interns, I recently told him, you have to read this book. And so we read it together okay. last summer. And it at least got him to uh, to writing things down and making making lists mm -hmm. of things. And uh, But for me, it was a good refresher to get right back into uh, into using the system and tracking it. And it just removed so much stress from my life when I first got into it about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my mm. system. Well, that's great. I, I mean, 
it's interesting. I don't, I don't know if you remember back when you first started into ministry, but if you didn't have a way to plan, mm. your life got planned for you. Right. Right. And because yeah. stuff just happened. And yeah. I, I, I do find that that's a skill set that um, anyone needs to entering it. I mean, entering into adult life, but also especially entering into ministry, you have to figure out how am I going to learn to to plan my life and plan my ministry and, and all of these sorts of things. So it is incredibly important. So when you open up the app, Nirvana, does it smell like teen spirit? Um, uh, thankfully, it uh, it does not. And I do, I, I regret the name of the app, but um, but I, like I, I did actually research a number of uh, of different apps that were uh, customized for yeah, yeah, the yeah. getting things done system. Yeah. And it was in terms of the like it's a it's a paid app. You, mm. you, you, I think there's a free version, but the free yeah. version is almost useless. And uh, but in terms of the the subscription price and and the functionality, it was it was the best one. So that's that's mm-hmm. what I use. Wow. Good deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you use an an app, uh, Dan, for your planning? No, I just use my schedule, uh, like the, my calendar in uh, on my iPhone, and yeah, then. Yeah. I, I do have a system of, uh, funny enough, sending myself emails is oh, what I do. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, with to-do lists, yeah, and then yeah. they just build off each other. And yeah. Anyway, it's a crazy system that could only be used by an individual. Uh, but uh, but actually, I, I, I follow GTD as well, Getting Things Done, David Allen stuff. Okay. I love yeah. it. And yeah. uh, I've used the principles of it. I've never taken it fully on. It's sure. quite a detailed system. Yeah. Yeah. And for my personality, it would be a killer. Okay. Uh, but, but the principles of it work. Yeah. They just do. And so I, I still use them. And I actually also use a, a guy named Michael Hyatt, Full Focus mm. stuff. And mm. that same yeah. thing. I use the principles. I've, I've bought the stuff, you know, that he... Uh, recommends, yeah. and then I just glean all the principles from it, and and then I stop mm. using the details of it. Now, are are yeah. either of them like the um, the guys that you know the touch it once type of email guy? You know what I mean? Like you you read yeah. email if you can do it in like a quick just yeah. do it get yeah. it done kind of thing. And then yeah, that's yeah. a David Allen. David Allen yeah. says something comes into your yeah. inbox, whatever the inbox is for you. If you can yeah. dispatch it in five in five minutes or less, then do it. Do yeah. it now, yeah. and yeah. then yeah. you never think about it again. Yeah, yeah. and then. Uh, is that do they shoot for zero inbox at the end of the day? Um, yeah, there's like a sorting system. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then in theory it's zero inbox, but it's not actually. And then you have a singular uh, task list kind of thing. Yeah, things are put in the yeah. right places yeah. where they will come up at the right times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Wow. Um, I haven't read either of those books, so I'll have to I'll look at it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Stephen Covey guy. Like, I've been yeah, I'm yeah. reading Covey for years. And so, yes. uh, you know, his, I mean, the Seven Habits book is, is important. There's a chapter in there that's yeah. important. But uh, he has a book about first things first. Right. And so I always um, work on my compass first. And then from there, I develop my task list. And then from there. And yeah. so uh, one of the rhythms I establish in my life is every, um, I, I do it Sunday nights now. Um, and I did one, I have an hour of power. I call it the hour of power. Yeah. So I sit down for an hour and I, I walk through my life and, right. um, and I think about the four quadrants. So the spiritual, the physical, um, the intellectual and the relational. And I, and I'm ensure that I prioritize those into my schedule first. So okay. when am I working out? When right. am I studying and reading? Yeah. When am I, and those go in my calendar first. Um, you know, when am I going to spend time with my wife and all those sorts of things? I mean, and, and, you know, I hold it loosely because, you know, things fall apart. And then, and then the task list kind of gets filled in around that type of yeah. thing. And then I have a prioritized task. I use Todoist um, yeah. because it integrates with Outlook. And so you can turn emails into task lists, you know, and that way you okay. just have one task list kind of thing. Nice. So, um, 
but I've been experimenting over the years. Probably you guys have as well. It's like, how does this work? And, yeah. um, <laughs> and all of this, I don't know about you, but all of this is in theory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is, uh, flexible because it all falls apart at some, at some point. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. You catch a cold and yeah. that's right, man. Yeah. So you guys are, you obviously you believe that pastors should plan. I mean, but I mean, isn't, isn't planning like un, unspiritual? Let me play the, uh, the other side here. Um, I mean, shouldn't you just like let go and let God go with the Holy spirit, you know, um, isn't, isn't, isn't spontaneous more spiritual than, um, planned. Um, I think there's some pretty clear scriptures in Proverbs about planning. Okay. So, uh, yeah. If you just Google planning in Proverbs, you'll, okay. uh, some conviction will come your way okay. when it comes to just thinking spontaneity is the only way. Yeah. Or yeah. suppose a man wants to build a tower, you know, should he not sit down first? Oh, and even out? Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say Pro- Proverbs, that's old covenant, you know. And oh. so, but, um, <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, thank you for, bring, uh, for just bringing kidding. us that's, back into the new covenant that's there. terrible, yeah. uh, terrible hermeneutics right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, have you ever been in a, like in, in a context or a culture of a church or, or a movement where you know, the spontaneous kind of gets elevated as being more spiritual than the the more practical pragmatic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes we think that spontaneous means spirit led, right? But of yeah. course the, the spirit can lead us in our planning process as right. much as he can in the moment. And not that, not that uh, one is more important than the other. We need both. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the Holy spirit is at work in, in both in the spontaneous moment and in the planning moments. So, so yeah. yeah, but yeah, it, it's tempting to kind of lean the spontaneous way. Yeah, I would tell my worship leaders that a a uh, a plan is something to depart from. So mm-hmm. you should have that plan, but you be prepared, hold it loosely, and be prepared to be um, to be open to what God's Spirit is doing in the moment. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I like I think that uh, I mean mainly my style as a worship leader is I, I like to plan things out and ask God to you know if if you're going to want something, let me know now because you know what's going to happen on Sunday. So uh, you know, help me to be prepared for it. And I find that when you have a, a plan to depart from or to fall back on, that gives you the, um, uh, I, I feel more free when I've got a solid plan yeah, yeah. to listen for something else that, that God's spirit might be saying to me in the moment in, uh, in the worship leading. Yeah. I mean, another big sort of spontaneous thing for me was that, um, I was at a big church and, uh, so we, we did a fair number of funerals. And mm. so when a funeral comes up. Most of those are not planned well in advance. No, and if no. they are, you got some questions, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so th- that would be a situation where your week just goes right out the window mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have to, um, you have to respond to this, uh, you know, this crisis that has just come up and, and plan a huge event. Uh, sometimes, you know, if it's someone who's been, you know, say a pillar of the church for decades, then, um, then your planning for that week goes right out the window as you deal with uh, with the funeral. So I I found those pretty pretty stressful. Yeah. Uh, at at times to be trying to pull those together in the spur of the moment. Yeah. Or, or short term mission trips. Um, typically, I mean, you, you kind of have them planned, but then a lot of things can happen and unravel as well while you're you're out there in the field. I mean, a part of it is you you just don't have control. Like you're in many ways you're, um, you know, where you're in your I find if I'm in my ministry, I, I have a lot more control over the details and the plans and whatnot, but you're at the mercy of, uh, of so many other things. Uh, I remember, um, uh, the book ordering your private world, Gordon McDonald, mm, do you remember yeah, that book? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, one of the principles I learned early in my ministry career is he, he, um, he talks about scheduling in margin. 
Right. Right. Because the problem is if you schedule your life to so everything's back to back to back and you don't have room for margin, then you, you don't have in room for God to interrupt your life or yeah. to interrupt your things. Or you just get really, really frustrated because, you know, suddenly everybody's intruding on, on your plan. But yeah. uh, maybe God wants to intrude on your plan. So to try and book in some margin during your day, um, because if you have a marginless life, you're just going to you're just going to burn out really basically at the end of the day. Hmm. Um, well, we think about our ministry leaders out there and uh, praying for you guys as you plan and as you uh, think about the upcoming year. And I'm sure many people are starting to plan Easter, um, starting to think sure. about that. Yeah. It's coming up. It's early this yeah, year. Early this year. End mm. of March. So um, better start planning that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, we're going to have a guest this week. Uh, his name is John Stairs, and he's the lead pastor of Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge, Ontario. And uh, we're going to hear his story of how God basically blew up all his plans uh, mm-hmm. when he became the church lead pastor. So two weeks into it, um, just some a devastating crisis took place in his church that just kind of unwound everything. But at the same time, God used it to glorify his name mm-hmm. and to build the church in, in, a, in an incredible way. So it's super powerful story, inspiring. And uh, I, I'm glad you guys get to hear it and yeah. uh, our listeners as well. So thanks for joining me Great. here this morning, guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, Great you. to be here, Rob. Well, hey, I am so excited to have on the podcast with me today, John Stairs. He's the lead pastor of Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge, Ontario. John, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Rob. Hey, we want to we want to start uh, right off by hearing about your ministry journey. Um, you have not always been the lead pastor of uh, uh, Temple Baptist Church, so give us you know give us a quick backstory of how you got into ministry and how you ended up uh, at your previous church. That's great. Yeah, I was uh, born in the Maritimes in Mountain New Brunswick. Um, and uh, I was the son of a pastor. In fact, I'm a third generation pastor. Uh, I want to wow. I want to honor um, that spiritual heritage, still upholding you know priesthood of the believer, and everybody has a uh, you know a role to play in the church. But I'm thankful for the spiritual heritage I had. And uh, so, um, grew up in a pastor's home. Um, my dad was a pastor of um, Hillside Baptist Church there in Mountain, and. And as it came together with the three churches, a hundred years old, and it was just an amazing experience for him. And gave my life to Christ at age five, was baptized at age eight, and uh, always wanted to be like my father. Wondered if God, you know, wanted me to be a pastor, mm-hmm. even from my earliest days. But then I fell in love with baseball and uh, pursued other things, and okay. saw some of the shadow side of church, and wondered, do I really want to? Do I really want to go <laughs> and be a pastor? And mm-hmm. still love Jesus. Um, and uh, when I was age 17, I um, felt the call of God in my heart and just loved to serve in any capacity I could in the church, VBS, ushering, even helped a little bit in the nursery, uh, whatever mm-hmm. I could do just to serve. And, and um, so at age 17, I actually had some affirmation from my local church that I should pursue being a pastor. And uh, I applied to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and didn't wow. apply anywhere else and was very blessed to be able to get into that school and be around some amazing leaders um, in the church and uh, people who had really served Christ globally and felt God's call in their life. And that's where I met my wife, Lori, uh, who's also mm. a pastor's daughter. Um, and 
uh, ended up graduating there from Moody and getting married two weeks later and candidating on the way uh, home from the honeymoon, if you can imagine. So <laughs> we, my wife and I have been in marriage and, and also ministry together uh, for 27 years and mm. um, served about six years in an evangelical free church uh, in Illinois after graduating from Moody. Uh, okay. Was able to also have a, be a part of an amazing program at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was an in-ministry um, MDiv program, Master of Divinity program. And uh, we're, you know, most of this, most of the students there were like 20 years older than me. And I just learned from them. And uh, it was a great experience. Graduated from there and got a call from um, actually my dad's former associate who was leaving the home church that we were um, in Chatham. We had since moved from the Maritimes and gone to a church yeah. in Chatham, Ontario. And uh he, uh, at my sister's wedding, said, hey, I've got the call of God to go to a church in Oshawa, Calvary Baptist in Oshawa, and would you come back from the States and uh, and serve alongside? So I had the privilege of being in, in a second chair role um, at, yeah. uh, at Calvary Oshawa and, and served there for 10 years and was, I would call for 16 years, an unintentional um, assistant pastor. I think that's actually Martin Hawkins' term. Uh, he's okay. a former associate pastor with Tony Evans at Oak Cliff uh, Bible Fellowship there in Texas, and and uh, and got the call here to be the lead pastor. And I can share more of that if you'd like. But that's that's the okay shrunk version of my call. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Well, a lot going on there too. I mean, you've got family as well. Yes, I do. I have uh, four uh, four children. And wow. Yeah. Okay, full quiver. Yeah, and I have a grandchild. Oh man, okay. Yeah, which are amazing. You do, you, you, you look too uh, way too young to have grandkids. So <laughs> they're super <laughs> fun. You, they're amazing. So uh, you know how you're tired after church on Sunday, Rob? Yeah, um, yeah. They come over for our Sunday dinner still, and, and and I just hold her, and I get all these endorphins, and it's just amazing. So nice, nice. Yeah, you can crash later. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, we're we're. Uh, I mean, I have two daughters, uh, no grandkids yet, but there's no pressure from me. Uh, we'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll let them make that decision when it's time. Um, okay. Sure. So yeah, you 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 were associate roles, second chair roles, um, working in the church, and then uh, Temple Baptist Church, where you are now, wasn't really on your radar. So so how did you end up? uh up there at uh, a temple and and maybe tell us a little bit about how long ago that was etc yeah that's good that's a great question um going back just to being like an unintentional associate i think yeah one of the things i learned was just as um i would just try to learn as much as i could from my lead pastor and growing up in a senior pastor's home i had a little bit of a head start and yeah. um one of the things i just watched i was like okay yeah man i love what he did here or there's some things maybe I would change with this. And I started to kind of create and fashion some ideas in my own heart, what some of my values were. And um, often a church, a church, uh, if they're kind of making a transition um, in, for pastoring, they will pick somebody uh, internally if they don't want to change much. But they will yeah. pick somebody um, who's different, who's, uh, you know, from an external standpoint. So they'll pick some from outside the church. So um, 
my wife and I had been serving at this really great church in Oshawa for 10 years, uh, had a lot of different uh, responsibility. One of the things we had was the young adults ministry. And yeah. I was on sabbatical. And um, I, Rob, you probably remember these days where you're working on your doctorate and you're, you're, uh, you're exhausted. And I just needed a, I just needed a little rest mentally. So I just said, all I'm going to do is read my Bible. I'm just going to read the Gospels. Mm. And I was just blown away with Jesus, how amazing he was, just trying to read it at face value. And yeah. um, came back and started teaching about Christ. And the young adults group grew. And um, mm. out of that, Lord, and I wondered if maybe God was calling us to plant a church. So we kind of created our DNA core values for what that might look like. And this was um, part of the long-term vision of that church anyways, to potentially have multiple congregations or plant a church. And my wife had been working um, with uh, some of the street youth, the youth that have been on the street in Oshawa. And yeah. we wondered if it may be kind of reaching some of the marginalized in, in, our, in our city. And so I was like, Lord, do you want us to continue just to serve where we're at? We're seeing fruit. It's been amazing. Um, great team to work with. Do you want us to go plant a church? What do you want? And I remember asking the Lord, what do you want done? And uh, as I was walking to church one morning, <laughs> so I get to the church and here's this email from Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge. And okay. they um, said, hey, we're looking for a senior pastor and your name is the one that we're hoping to pursue first. And they knew of me because my dad had been the interim pastor there um, right. for about eight months in 2011. This was now 2012. And I said, well, I, Lord, I can't, I can't take that prayer back, but I can... Uh, I can at least, you know, I'll pursue this, Lord, but I'll tell them all my values. They won't want me. You know, um, Temple Baptist Church was, um, I think in all fairness, they would say, you know, they maybe of the, the fundamentalist, fighting fundamentalist type of, of um, stream at that time. Okay. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe a lot of the fight had been taken out of them, and they had, had started on this pathway, I think, to a greater understanding of grace, which we all are. We're all, all recovering legalists in a sense. Yeah, someone said, totally. and um, and but I thought, you know, though I might be uh, conservative in theology, I'm not in methodology. Like whatever we have to do to make disciples of all nations, and so I kept telling them. I said, well, here's my values. Don't you know move forward unless you're interested in these values. I learned that um, from uh, Steve Jones, our president of our fellowship of evangelical Baptist. He. He went yeah. to Temple Sarmi and actually learned to take the values and front load those. So the people are knowing what expectations you have. Right. So I thought I'm going to do that. And the um, they kept telling me things like, we know we need to change or we're going to die. And I said, well, I humbly disagree mm. uh, because you actually need to die and then you'll change. And then resurrection happens for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was um, more prophetic than I <laughs> understood at the time. I think most prophets don't fully understand. I'm not considering myself a prophet. I'm just saying most prophetic utterances or whatever you want to call those, those are usually not, we don't fully understand what we're saying when we're saying Yeah, it, yeah. You know? I mean, preaching <laughs> is, is is prophetic in a yeah. sense. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting for listeners to hear, like when you say there were fighting fundamentalists, um, I mean, give us a bit of a picture of that. I mean, what were some of the things, yeah. maybe prior to your time, but I mean, in its history, uh, what were some of the 
on some of the marks of that fundamentalism for that community? Yeah, I want to. Uh, it's it's hard. It's a good question. Rob. I want to honor those that have come before me. And, and sure, and yeah, important. yeah. And and you know, in the life of the church, in every most churches, there's the DNA of evangelism, and mm-hmm. they had that. Um, yeah. They had used a lot of kind of American strategies, such as you know, busing ministry. Um, yeah. And for a time, that was that was used of God, and lots of kids came to Sunday school. Um, it was a King James only church. Okay. Up until 2010, when they voted to use other translations, um, maybe just too much focus on some of the externals, which again I I've struggled with in the past too. Uh, so those are some of the things, and I think at times more of an independence rather than an interdependence with other churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, again by God's grace, uh, they were willing to you know, chase down, chase down God's grace in a new way. And yeah. uh, it's uh, yeah. hopefully that kind of answers your question. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, high autonomy, strongly independent uh, Baptist church that's uh, focusing on some of those significant fundamentals, which in their time, I mean, made sense as, as you know, they're responding and reacting to culture and what's happening in their day, but right. still holding on to them in our day. Um, right. Yeah. And as you say, we're all recovering legalists at heart. <laughs> Someday, uh, the next generation will try and unpack and unwind all the things that we've put together for for our day uh, as well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, how did they respond? I mean, you gave them your your kind of list. Uh, this is who I am. This is what I would want. Um, and thinking maybe that they would say, well, that's not really a fit for us, but how did they respond to that? They kept wanting to move forward. Okay. <laughs> they actually gave me a, like a, I don't know, it was, I think it was 99% vote, 99.6 or something. It was, wow. it was very wow. high vote. Um, but here's the thing that was helpful, I want to say too, Rob. Yeah. Um, I think it also helped that my father was the interim pastor um, mm. for it was eight months because they also knew that I did not, or that I did have feet of clay, that I had lots of, uh, you know, f- failures and things that, um, you know, my dad would use me as illustrations in there. In okay. So they kind of knew of me, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was, yeah, yeah. and, um, and so that was really helpful. They did a really deep dive on me as well. Like, they uh, listen to a lot of sermons and they, you know, I think this is probably in the new space we're in. They, they did the whole like criminal background check, the financial check, the yeah. social media check, um, you know, just doing all the, the private investigation of those things. And so along with kind of an alignment theologically and um, what I was talking about with values um, and some of them, maybe I just a couple of them, I just. I'll just run by just so you can hear what I was kind of call, talking about with values. Like I just was trying to call us to some things that were not visionary, but again, values like, uh, for example, um, you know, our first step is to fall on our knees in prayer and rely on God. Like that we mm-hmm. want to be a house of prayer. Um, yeah. we take God's word seriously. We, we're more about application than just, um, filling our, our heart and minds with knowledge. It's gotta be applied knowledge. Um, you know, we fight God's word, not over God's word, but with God's word. 
Um, we're driven by the gospel. We want to th think, live, and act as missionaries to our community and world. Um, you know, we want to uh, sing one another's songs to God. Uh, we want to be intentionally multi-generational, multicultural. Um, you know, we also talked about the fact that um, follow the whispers of God. And the big thing, too, is also like our measuring stick. And this is from Exponential is God stories change lives. It's not just mm -hmm. it's not just, um, you know, the, the normal things of attendance and budget. Uh, and that's helpful when you're you when God calls you to serve in a church that's been in a de decline. Um, yeah. You got to. It can be discouraging. You got to refocus them on what is most important. What's the God story that He's doing in people's lives? Did yeah. I answer your question? Yeah, no, that's great. And and I mean, I think Temple had been in a in a state of decline for a while and was just trying to refining its purpose and its vision. Is that a, an accurate picture? That would be an accurate accurate picture. And those who remained were faithful. They were they were prayerful, and um, you know, I I. I think the world of them and um, it's been neat to be on a journey of we, we all changing through this whole process and Christ changing us through the Holy spirit. Yeah. 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 So, Hey, uh, were you like, when you sent that to them, were you actually seriously maybe considering it at the time or you were just like, uh, I just, let me just make this really clear so I can get on with my life and ministry at the church I'm serving at or. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I, I think I was trying to be sincere and earnest and actually giving yeah. them the values. Like this is what this mm -hmm. church I think personally needs. Yeah. Um, I just didn't think they'd, they'd want me. Um, right. You know? Yeah. And so, and I, like, I just was okay. Cause I was actually really content in my role where I was at. I just wanted to make sure I was making the greatest contribution I could for the Lord. So. Mm. So tell us the story then. How did you end up making that decision and, and how did the call come together? Yeah, so uh, I actually preached those values to the whole church. Okay. I didn't just share them. I preached them. And I said, I said to them, like, if we're getting married here, and if you want to call it that, um, don't marry me. Don't vote for me unless you uh, vote for these values. It's not just John Stairs. It's these values. Of we, okay. We're going to think and act like missionaries. We're going to have a lot more of a different perspective. Uh, in this world and trying to, to, you know, think about making disciples, that kind of mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he got a 90, 90% vote. So that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, right. So it, uh, you, you see this alignment of God's heart uh, in everybody mm -hmm. there. Um, and so you moved to Temple, uh, you landed, um, well, moved to Cambridge mm -hmm. uh, and uh, landed at Temple. And then, 13 days after arriving, uh, mm -hmm. a bomb dropped uh, that was kind of unexpected. Uh, tell us about that. What happened? Yeah, so let me give you a little background. Um, I knew going into a situation that one of the things that had hurt the church uh, was that they had had in a previous uh, abuse situation from a former yeah. uh, deacon um, and teacher in there. In their Christian academy, there was an academy that was attached to the school at the time, or to the church at the time, yeah. and um, this person now had been in jail. Um, and so, uh, yeah, 13 days after arriving, we were served with a lawsuit. 
um, wow. from some of the victims from from the previous uh, the previous leader. And um, you know, Rob, they don't they don't teach you about lawsuits in seminary. I know you're a great you know seminary teacher, but you probably don't have lawsuits 101. I don't. No, at, they do at, not. At Heritage yeah. College and Seminary either. We haven't taught that. So. I didn't have, I try to really surround myself with people who are way smarter than I, that I can really ask a lot of good questions. And there was just nobody at first, at first um, glance, like there was just nobody who had gone. My dad hadn't gone through a lawsuit. Grandfather hadn't, didn't know yeah. my mentors, but God always has uh, people. Right. And so I started, we started praying and, um, those those crises are actually opportunities to see God work, hmm. and I would just encourage our listeners that if they're in a in a crisis right now, it is a great opportunity to see God do an amazing work. I wanted to be a part of a church where God, it would be a story of God and what He's done, and He gets all the credit, and that's what's happened at Temple, and hmm. it caused us to fast track um, our my relationship with our leadership team. We would spend man night after night just in meetings trying to pray and read the scriptures about what to do about lawsuits and and you know handle this situation and it really it really forged in us a, a real unity of the spirit and probably fast-tracked my ability to lead at the church hmm. um, you know, sometimes it takes quite a while to be a pastor and leader you can even get a strong vote but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a mandate Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And gaining the confidence and the trust of those you lead takes time, but a crisis and watching you lead through crises and trust God through crises is, is definitely going to accelerate your, the trust you have with your people. Right. So we, we, what we did is we came back with um, two main goals out of that lawsuit. The mm -hmm. first was we would chase down the truth and wherever it led, we would own it. Mm -hmm. So if we were, um, liable, if we were culpable in any way, then we would, we would own that. The yeah. second goal was that we would pursue uh, reconciliation, not just legal resolution, but that we would pursue, you know, biblical, spiritual reconciliation with everyone we could, that God would allow mm -hmm. that to happen. So those were mm -hmm. our two goals. Wow. Okay. Now, now this wasn't the only leadership crisis you were facing. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, Talk about being tested in the fire. I mean, in the middle of all of this, there was also something else going on. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. And by the way, I'm still trying to like grow my my preaching muscles at the same time. Like as an associate, exactly. you, as an associate, <laughs> you're dude, like I, I was very gracious to get like 25% of the time I get to preach, but man, doing this every week, it's relentless. So I'm still trying to learn how to preach and lead and all these things at another level. And yeah. the, the second crisis that came up was um, we, as I said, we had an academy. It was a Christian school. It was a part mm -hmm. of the ministry of the church. It was the dominant ministry of our church. And I'd been around for 35 years and had seen students up to, you know, population about 200 students at one time wow and uh uh it declined a lot down to about 60 when i arrived and um soon found out as i was looking at the financials 
of the church that we were hemorrhaging about eighty thousand uh, dollars a year on the academy to keep it to float it to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Your church and now was, that yeah. threatened the viability of of the church. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what uh, what were you? You know what? Did, what did you do? What was your plan? Um, well, again, this was a crisis. I I had not led a Christian school um, before, and you know you're learning all of these things. And uh, we had a part time principal at times, so that meant that I had a second hat as being principal mm-hmm. in some of those those efforts. And yeah, and she was a godly woman. She actually was having she actually had cancer during that whole episode too. So it wow. meant more. I remember one one week working about. 80 hours uh just on the school and i'm like i can't even go visit um visit some people in the church that i need to so uh we yeah was this was some of this no this was all pre-covid wasn't it yeah this was back uh 2000 i probably i arrived in september of 2012 and probably by year like month three or four um, okay you know, I probably learned, okay, no, this is actually, when you get the end of your year in financials, like, whoa, this is, this threatens the viability of the church. So um, I'm the kind that if I can't understand like the financial side of things, and I think we pastors need to make sure we pay attention to these things. I'm like, if I can't understand it and be able to explain it to others, then I got to chase down that and find some people who can help me explain all this. Yeah, so good plan. I learned yeah. all like the, the challenges of, you know, what tuition was costing and, you know, there's a certain level of, of cost. And, you know, I learned about, um, you know, this well at our education about the fact of, you know, what's the real, what, what are full-time student equivalents, right? Those types of things. Yeah. And so, um, we let, we had to lead through this decision. Uh, it was a hard decision with our elders and this is probably the part that was in in part fulfilling this aspect that we know that we're going to need to die um and then we'll change and then resurrection will happen mm-hmm. so we came to the conclusion that this was just not sustainable mm-hmm. and i think it's carrie newhoff that talks about the fact that uh sometimes you have to kill what's killing you you let things that are um you know dying a slow natural death just let them die but in this case, this was this was going to cause, in addition to the lawsuit, which we were already in debt before I arrived as a church, everything was kind of coming together. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm going to plant a church. Plant a church. We're going to have to sell this whole property right. and start over. Start over, yeah. And so we worked with the teachers. We worked with the parents. Um, a lot of the parents were outside of the church. Of the 60 students, there was only 12 that were hmm. attending our church. Wow. Four of them were my children. So okay. it didn't have a lot of, uh, it had a deficit financially, but it had somewhat of a discipleship deficit too. Okay. And I, you know, as leaders, they talk about this all the time. You just have to define reality. And yeah. I had to define reality, explain what was going on. We, we ended up closing the school. We had the really difficult decision to do that. Um, how, totally how long into it uh, were you? It was like, made if it? I came in September, we closed yeah. it there in May, June, that, that year. Okay. Yeah. After the year of classes. Yeah. yeah. 
But then what happened was the uh, the parents outside of the um, school, they and the church, by the way, decided this was a church vote. And I think they voted 77 percent or something like that to close the school, which was pretty strong, despite the fact that yep. they love this school. Right. Like, I just understand that. And uh, so we decided to close the school, went through all the, you know, car all the contracts of the teachers and those who were severely underpaid and all these types of things. And, yeah. um, got through that the next morning I arrive at the church and there's all this news trucks in our oh, parking man. lot and <laughs> the parents had notified the, the community. And I understand why they would do that. Sure. Um, they wanted to save the school. And I think yeah. it was a, a low news cycle. And so we were front page news for 10 days and oh uh, God doesn't waste anything. I had learned to do some press releases in my previous roles. And um, and so I just tried to manage the message and we, tr we tried to manage the message and uh, try to be really caring and be out in the front. And it actually was amazing because mm. um, uh, instead of it being bad press, it was actually good press. Some people started coming to church and some got saved. Uh, mm. We gave the opportunity to the parents to raise, you know, that extra $80,000. We knew that that was not the long-term um, educational business side of things, but let's sure. try it one more year. And if they could raise uh, it in 10, 10 days, if they could raise $80,000 so that we could renew the contracts for one more year, we would do that. So uh, they didn't just raise 80000 they raised $110,000. Okay. <laughs> and so that meant uh, staying open for one more year. We tried to figure out a different business type of plan for getting more students. Mm -hmm. um, and ended up at the end of that year, uh, I think, you know, you didn't want to surprise people. I think some people were at times surprised with the fact that we had to close the school as much as we tried to communicate that. But that extra year just gave us more time to get used to the idea that if we cannot make that change, then we'll have to close the school. And we ended up closing it. And um, again, more media coverage. And it was it was a positive in a lot of ways, and we ended up having what I would call nowadays they call it a celebration of life rather than a funeral. Right. They yeah. celebrated all the good things that had happened over yeah. 35 years. Yeah. We called all alumni back, and then we said, "Here's a new vision. We still care about kids. Uh, we still care about evangelism, and we're going to ask the Lord to give us a new vision for that." Oh, that's great. You know, I. I so you're you've been in it for a year. Um, you've got this lawsuit, you've got um, the school challenge, you're, you've got this huge learning curve in your job, but also a learning curve in this, you know, educational institution and having to figure all that out, figuring out budgeting on so many different levels. Uh, and then finally, you're like, oh, okay, we've reached the decision. We're closing the school. And then in the fall, you have to do a, an about face. I mean, like, that's tough because I know once you made that decision, you feel relieved, the sense of, oh, okay, we can move on. We're going to move on. And then all of a sudden I have to pivot again and pivot back to something you thought was done. I mean, what was going on in your heart at that time? It's hard because it was a long time ago, but yeah, one of my favorite verses is 2 Peter 1, 3. 
that uh, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Mm. So I just knew that sometimes you have to, you just have to persevere and kind of keep going and asking the Lord, I just need grace and your, your energy for making through these decisions and, and, you know, not running ahead, but just staying with your leaders. And I think sometimes we all just have to get used to an idea, right. Of, of change. Mm-hmm. And, um, I knew that this was, I believed, I shouldn't say I knew, that's arrogant. I believed that this was going to be best for the church in the long run. And I yeah. knew it wasn't sustainable where I was because like, I couldn't, it was weird. I I was doing all this stuff for the academy, dealing with all the media and all the parents, but two things. One, I hardly had much time with my own children. Right. And two, um, I also uh, looked at my hours and I was like, I am not spending any time with outsiders. I'm not spending any time discipling anybody. And I knew that God had called me to disciple people and live as missionaries to our community. So mm-hmm. I, I knew that God would help us sometime to bring some closure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and inevitably he did use it to bring people to himself and uh, yeah. in a roundabout way that you weren't maybe expecting. So, right. So meanwhile... The lawsuit was continuing, yeah. Um, yeah. but something pretty amazing uh, happened. Uh, how did God show up in that? Yeah, thanks, Rob. The, um, yeah, and for your listeners, and hopefully they never have to go through a lawsuit, mm-hmm. uh, lawsuits have a lot of activity, and then they don't. And one of the things that maybe is helpful for us as pastors is we um, – we are all about words, right? We we parse words all the time. So in some ways, you know, it talks about the scribes in the New Testament. Sometimes we act as scribes and we act as we have a little bit of a legal mind because we really parse out words and what they're what they mean, how they're mm-hmm. heard. So that was helpful. But um yeah, two years went by uh with you know flurries of activity and no activity, flurries of activity, no activity. And I recall um, one day we uh, received word from uh, the victims that they uh, they um, were willing to come, you know, back to us with a lot lower settlement uh, cost. Mm-hmm. And um, we had gone through the whole process, as I said, to you know chase down the truth and see if we owned anything, and we realized that. You know, there's always things you can do better. But at that time, this is really important. You can't just judge based on today's standards. You have to base your decisions on what was the decisions at that time as best that they do. And they actually went above and beyond right. what were the standards of, of mm. the time. They, they should be applauded for that. So yeah. we didn't believe we had any vicarious liability. Our lawyer didn't believe that. Um, you know, we didn't have any money. So uh, we actually, but we there was an offer back to us. So we said, okay, let's bring this before the Lord. Let's call the church today, another day of prayer and fasting. And we, um, our our elders and deacons met, and we went through the scriptures again. You know about lawsuits and forgiveness and reconciliation. And it just happened that day I had received a letter that was addressed to the treasurer. And um, I gave it to the treasurer and I went on to explain what the offer was after doing this Bible study, essentially on lawsuits. Yeah. And uh, the treasurer opened it up and 
he said, what was the amount that you just shared? And I told him the amount and he's like, this is a bequest for the exact same amount of money as this offer. And we don't even know this person. Wow. Wow. It was one of those like Holy Spirit spine tingling moments where you're like, whoa, like, you know, the kabod, the, the weight of glory just fell on us. We felt like, okay, we just got quiet real quick. Wow. And we, were, we just said, okay, let's take, let's just take a day. And we don't want it to overreact, but I think that God's calling us. This is manna from heaven. I think we are supposed to, you know, go to these people who've been hurt so deeply and try to represent to them, be honest with them, saying God loves them. Like he has not forgot about them. He cares about them because you can't talk to them. There's a layer of lawyers, right? Sure. Sure. And we might have had to our lawyer and he was, it was, that was, you know, our lawyer, I had developed a, a good relationship with, or I'm trying to witness to him. And I told him the story and he's like, well, you don't need to give that money. And I'm like, I know, but I think we do. I think mm. we need to, to, cause that's what the Lord gave us. Yeah. Cause yeah. we're in debt still. We, you know, we're, we, 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 the church have been in debt its whole existence and they borrowed to start the church. And so, mm. um, we, we gave them that money and, wow. um, it just, it got it, like rid of the layer of lawyers. And then it opened up a door where we could actually um, try to reach out to them, uh, explain what happened and want to hear their story. And, and it not just did that, it started to open up all sorts of other conversations, just trying to pursue reconciliation with a whole bunch of people. So a few mm. months later, we had a forgiveness Sunday where we just said, you know, let's individually, corporately, is there anybody that we need to get right with? anybody that needs to get right with us mm. and let's be open um, with that mm. through that whole perspective process. Um, yeah. I needed help. And there's a good book um, by um, Jeremy Bergen. He, it's called Ecclesiast Ecclesial Repentance and mm. uh, the church confronts their sinful past. And I needed like some 50,000 foot views of, view and questions to know like what do you do what what do what are we supposed to own and what are we not supposed to own right um and i think all churches wrestle through this but jeremy this book really helped me to get kind of a th big fifty thousand foot view theological understanding of that um yeah Jeremy's well we'll pop that up in the show notes for our listeners that's a good okay. resource yeah so um so the, anyways, that just opened up the floodgates for more reconciliation. And mm. yeah, so I think maybe hopefully that answers your question. Rob. Yeah. Wow. Now you actually, you went and you met with the perpetrator as well, didn't mm. you? Um, tell us a little bit of that. I mean, wh why, why did you choose to do that? What were you hoping for? Um, I was just hoping to bring about reconciliation to every party that I could involve, be involved with. Mm. And I just said, uh, and you have to be really careful because it wouldn't have been helpful for this person who had now since got out of jail um, to probably come back to the church. I think that there's a lot right. of obstacles for that. Yeah. But um, I asked him, is there anything that you want to seek forgiveness from the church? And he wrote a letter corporately to us, you know, repenting of his deception of his abuse 
of those. And um, we read that corporately and corporately wow. forgave those. Uh, you know, and um, those are hard days. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, uh, but I think the the parable of the unmerciful servant just brings deeply in my heart. You know that mm -hmm. I've been forgiven billions of dollars of billions of debt. I could put it that way, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just need I need to grant forgiveness to others. Yeah. That doesn't We're, mean that doesn't mean that that person is now a trusted individual. I want to make yeah. that clear. Yeah. Right. Like not at all. Yeah. But we're only talking about forgiveness, forgiveness and reconciliation, trust, restoration. Those are different levels of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And we're called to reconcile, but that doesn't necess necessitate the restoration of that relationship to its former state because right. trust has been broken and violated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you love the victims as well. Were, were any of the victims in the crowd when that letter was read? No, no, they weren't. Well, not um, the direct victims, but in a sense, the whole church had been direct, victims, sure. right? They all knew this yeah. person. Um, yeah. Mm. No, they were not. So, yeah. 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 Well, God ultimately used all of this um, to build his church. Uh, so tell us about that. I mean, tell us about the rest of the story. Um you know, planting, building. I mean, there's so many incredible things that were the outworking of this very difficult season that you guys went through. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's great. So we, we we went through this whole process. I guess I could kind of overlay it. Um, and when I was asked to teach at Heritage College and Seminary just to, on renewal of churches and yeah. If I could overlay it, Daniel Henderson, he's a great proponent of prayer. And he talks about um, the steps of, of renewal. And he talks about you know, personal renewal. It has to start with us first as a leader. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it filters down to the leadership team, leadership renewal. And then there's the, um, the corporate renewal. So one of the things we started with the leadership renewal is we, we started to try to dream again as a as, as a as a leadership team, we'd have dream days. We'd walk around our property and say, I know it doesn't feel like it. We're drowning now, but what would, what would it look like if God right. took over and did something here? Yeah. And just give them hope again. Hmm. Um, I took them to our whole leadership team or staff to uh, exponential conferences. Cause I, yeah. I wanted to expose them to different ways of discipleship and thinking about acting like missionaries. And, um, and so we kind of, we went through a real leadership renewal. And hmm. then we finally went to the corporate renewal, which would be the whole church and ultimately yeah. mission renewal and refocus and structural renewal. And what happened for us um, was, uh, I think I mentioned already about the Forgiveness Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I told you about the fact that our church had been in debt for its whole existence for uh, 55. Well, at that time, it would have been almost 60 years. And... Hmm. Um, so one of the things that we knew that we needed to do was to get out of debt. So we had a bank loan and then we had some other, um, some other debts that we had. And yeah. we thought, well, what, Lord, now that we've taken care of this relational debt, let's see if, you, Lord, you would help us with the financial debt. I think relational mm -hmm. is always first. And yeah. so we had, um, we had another Sunday where 
we tried to raise the 80,000 to get rid of our bank loan. Hmm. And um, instead of just raising 80,000, God gave us $280,000. Wow. Wow. And that got rid of all of our debt. Hmm. So that freed us up financially. Um, and uh, we just continue to see, just try to do the, the things that Jesus calls us to do, to pray, to teach God's word, to make disciples. And God blessed the church and, you know, kept seeing people get baptized. We saw new families start coming. Mm. We added a second service, um, added some staff. Uh, but we have been going to Exponential. So we also had in our heart, like, what if, what if God allowed us to plant a church? We've never done this in our 60 years. Right. And I would joke yeah. about the fact that, like, we'll be like Sarah. We would, what if we could plant a church? in our postmenopausal years and you know like <laughs> like what could happen as a church and right. i really want to be a multiplying church and so um in 2018 we we uh you know god called us to surrender and tithe the, about 10 percent of our church um and this was a wanted pregnancy not an unwanted pregnancy we gave up right. some of our choice servants surrendered them Really, most of our worship team, most of our youth leaders went and planted what's called Restoration Church. Mm. And um, uh, the associate pastor at the time was a person I'd known since he was in utero. He was my uh, my uh, youth group leaders growing up. That was their son. Um, so wow. I had high trust with this man. His name's Aaron Ottaway. And he uh, uh, led, he and his wife led um, about 40 of our um, people to plant Restoration Church. And hmm. that was one of the most glorious days of my ministry. And the next Sunday, it was one of the most discouraging. But all those people are gone, right? <laughs> it's hard, Rob. Yeah, to yeah be, and then you got to start again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I learned through that. I'm like, I would love to have actually a network of what I, you know, mops in the States, mothers of preschoolers. Um, I think there should be a network where mothers of of uh, planted churches you know like the, mm -hmm. the, how do you we need support too when we go through po postpartum depression and those types of things as we plant the church yeah, yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah well good for you guys to do it and and that and restoration's doing well today it's thriving yeah they've really grown they've now um become um you know self-sustaining self-governing they grew uh, significantly. I think they're about 120 to 150 on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. That's great. Through all the changes through COVID and just, it's been an awesome, awesome story. So we're cheerleading yeah. them on. You know, and a, and a lot of leaders um, in your situation are, are afraid to plan for that reason, because, I mean, you really are sending off maybe some of your, your talent and your mature disciples and your passionate younger generation to start something new and your fear well, what's going to happen to the church at home? Uh, what is, you know, are we going to go into decline or are we going to be plateaued and, and for a long time, you know, what are the struggles you're going to face? But that's not your story. Tell us about what uh, happened on the home front. Yeah, I think at the same time we were planning to multiply, we we're also uh, called to add. And so um, this is crazy. I don't recommend this. It has to be something the Lord is leading you as a, as a, as a church to do. But at the same time, um, as we uh, we were planting, we decided to we knew we needed to add staff because mm -hmm. we need some replacement right for the from the church plant, 
we needed we needed to restructure some of our documents so that we can maneuver better with a church plant and give them more empowerment. Um, and then we also decided to build because we knew looking at our building, it was it was not functional. It was in needing some repair, about like a million dollars just to repair roof and 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 parking lot, and that's just wow. not really exciting to raise funds for lipstick on a pig is what we like to say (laughs) that's right that's good rob (laughs) and so we thought okay lord we've been dreaming about this we had those dream days what would be the like we called it the master's plan meaning you know jesus's plan what would what would the master plan for the church be so we don't just Hmm. chase good money after bad like let's not just do this piecemeal what does he really calling us to do and so we endeavored to essentially recreate our property here hmm. and um we we uh, started on a on a you know 12.2 million dollar project and wow. uh, and we're committed to doing that debt free and um come on debt free debt free hmm. we had we we had had a long enough time as as being in debt and so yeah yeah um so again another god story we were able to raise uh, support, first of all, for our church plant, about $350,000. Hmm. So we figured, we're trying to figure these things out, but you're like, okay, how can we make sure that they're on really solid ground, take care of, of uh, Restoration Church first? And then on top of that, then, you know, what is God calling us on this physical property to do? And, and we were able to raise all that money. Wow. So you, you had a few acres that were undeveloped, obviously. You, you didn't transplant to a new location. You were able to reconfigure the kind of the landscape of your property. Right. There's like 10 acres that we have 10 acres, which uh, I don't know if this is true out in Saskatchewan, but in, in Ontario, uh, there's a new law that you can, churches can only have up to five acres based because they want to continue to have a tax revenue um mm. whereas properties are you know church properties are untaxed here in ontario so okay. um so we had 10 acres so we knew this is prime location uh and we we decided to recreate the building and we still have some vision to actually recreate all of the property as well um and uh we re- identified some of our strengths also some of our weaknesses in the building, in our ministries that we needed to to uh, invest in. So hmm. those two areas were um, the church had built, been built. Um, there have been numerous building projects. It originally was the school. They had built the, the school first, and then they had added like a, like a auditorium. And it was one big, long caterpillar, if that makes sense, of a building. Hmm. And, um, you know, for for new families coming in and your kids are way off in the far end of the church and right. there's yeah. no lobby, there's no central gathering. Churches back in, in the day, they built just an auditorium with no community space to actually fellowship. You just kind of come out of the auditorium and go right out into the parking lot. That needed yeah. to be fixed. There was no real vibrant kids ministry um, space. And so we, we focus, let's focus on the next generation. Let's focus on community. I had been in Africa and Togo, West Africa and saw how the most basic essential there was, um, uh, clean water and trying to get out of, of poverty. And as we mm-hmm. thought about, 
you know, and we surveyed our community, actually, not just ourselves, but we, we, we talked to leaders in the community, like, what's, what's our greatest need here in Cambridge? What do they need? And we realized that people suffer from relational poverty here in Canada mm. a lot. Mm. Um, and how can we create, for lack of a better term, I know I'm boring from others, but like a third space for people to actually. Yeah. yeah. So we recreated uh, our building to uh, become a community center for Christ the, through COVID. Um, we realized that the church, again, it was just reinforced the church is the people, not the, not the place. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so coming out of COVID, we, we had, it took us two and a half years to build. We had a year's delay because of being considered non-essential construction. And that actually helped us to uh, do some changes maybe that we maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And the other thing is it also, we wanted to build a building that would um, be very transparent. So there's glass right. everywhere. And that wow. came out of kind of a redemptive aspect of that, that abuse situation. Um, mm. We realized, you know, we've maybe hid things too much in the past. Let's communicate, you know, transparency. Let's communicate mm. that God is light. Let's use yeah. the building to share the gospel. So we have our gospel pathway. We've, built into the building, um, just things like that mm. and be more transparent and enable us to, you know, have, um, speakers come in on really challenging topics like church abuse, married to youth, um, was one of the speakers and things like mm. this, just to help us to try to be more, more transparent. Wow. Wow. You know, one of the, and you know, this, I mean, the, one of the dangers of building a new building is the building becomes the mission. And you replace that. And, and it, so it becomes about, you know, you're raising money for the building. You're, you're raising money to keep the building and maintain the building and sustain mm -hmm. the building. Whereas, I mean, it's just a means to the mission. And it sounds like you guys have really thought through how can we use this building so that it doesn't become an idol or it doesn't become a monument, but it's actually just a, a tool that's going to support the mission and values that you have as a church community. You said it brilliantly, Rob. You got to think of it as a tool. It's just a tool. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's dangerous because it's it's shiny, right? And people can be attracted to that. But are they really attracted to Christ? That's what, mm. the, what's most important. Yeah. So, um, you know, have we at times maybe it's the, the tool becomes a temptation probably at times, but we try to put it back in its proper place and. And not be, you know, where the story of the the bronze serpent that healed the the, uh, the Israelites, and they'd look up to it during the plague, and then it became the Nehushtan, and then they started yeah. worshiping it. So we just got to be really careful and make sure we're focused on worshiping Jesus and the right yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's a good indicator of decline too, when all of your energy and and focus is on keeping a building, and you've lost sight of the mission of God. I mean, that's. Yeah you're on the other side of the growth curve for your, for your church. If that's mm -hmm. the, the reality mm -hmm. is your, is your worship auditorium, then it's a multi-purpose room. It's kind of like a black box. You can move the chairs uh, and whatnot. No, we didn't grow. Like we added a few chairs. We took out the pews. Okay. Um, we decided not to try to be like a mega church. Not, that's not a criticism of any large mega yeah. churches. I've served in a large church, but um we decided because we wanted to plant again in the future that we would mm -hmm. make it kind of a small hall up to 500 uh, seats. Okay. And, you know, maybe if God blesses, we would, you know, add a second service at most. But we 
it's intentionally that way. The the building actually, we weren't actually worship or the, the auditorium driven. That was the yeah. last part of it, actually. It was actually the community center part of it. It was the kids ministry mm. that was driving the recreation mm. of the property. Yeah. And I mean, and in the midst of all of this, um, you were still baptizing people, leading people to Christ. Is that correct? Yeah, the Lord, the Lord was continuing to grow. There was some, there was some, uh, maybe uh, quieter seasons. Sure. The tank, yeah. the tank was dry for some <laughs> for some day, <laughs> days, but this this year it's been like uh, God's just been blessing. And we have all these new families. Really, de church, unchurched people have come. We haven't got a mm. lot of a lot of of uh, people from other churches. That's not really. Yeah. I don't get excited about that. I actually call the other pastors to our Bible from Bible living churches and say, Hey, this person showed up. Are they a spiritual fugitive? And I need to send them back to you. So I, I never, I don't get real excited about from other churches. Like that's yeah, yeah. God bless them, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, your church, is it still recovering from legalism? Um, have you had to help with that recovery or are you guys uh, in a good space now? Uh, we're all always, I think we're always recovering, but we just got to keep sort of like an alcoholic, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think where there's been a shift, uh, I knew that, remember I talked about the King James version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we just didn't, I just didn't make a big issue of that. I preached to the New American Standard, which they wanted me to. And just, you know, when I first, when I first came, um, I wore, you know, suit and all those things. Because I saw myself as a missionary to the church, yeah, as well yeah. as a missionary from the church, right? So, um, you know, I remember a few years in, I was preaching through Genesis, and there was a long passage, and I thought, I'm just going to do something crazy here. Well, I remember I told you I do, I don't know, crazy things, but I thought, why don't we just have ten people? Why don't we almost like a Sunday school? I'm going to have ten people volunteer to read these ten verses, or and mm. then. And, you know, and then another group, another 10 verses. So it was like maybe five or six, it wasn't 10 people, but each read 10 verses in this yeah. long chapter in Genesis. And they read it. And I noticed that they are all reading from different translations. Oh, <laughs> so I just couldn't help. But like I made a joke. I was like, oh, it looks like we've gone past just our one translation viewpoint we had at one time. And they all laughed. And then we never talked about yeah. it again. And we just it's not been an issue since. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and if so many people have come to faith and and there's newness in your community, so many people don't even remember those days, right? Right? They it's it's like a yeah a, t- a totally new transformed community, but some would for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people would say. Remember, I talked about the renewal process. I think a lot mm-hmm. of us would say we're new people. Like the Holy Spirit is. We don't want to go back to those days. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't want to go in the ditch either of just like antinomianism. We don't want to just like not believe that the scriptures also call us to obey the scriptures too. Like sure, absolutely. balance, right? Yeah. You can yeah. go, we're, we're all like, if we're all like, you know, I was talking to one uh, leader, I thought it was brilliant what he said. He said, I'm a, I confess that I'm an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I mean, and, and grace includes the gift of the Spirit, the charis, yeah. the grace of the Spirit to transform lives into the image of Christ. I mean, so um, it's not just freedom from, it's freedom for, right? So Amen. we've been set free for 
so much more in our lives. And so, yeah, yeah it's not just about uh, the avoiding legalism. That's right. That's exactly right. So, well, John, I, I know there are ministry leaders out there who are facing difficult challenges, and I pray that it won't be a lawsuit. I, I don't think I'll add lawsuits to the uh, curriculum because my hope is uh, to instead add um, things to the curriculum that will help us avoid lawsuits. <laughs> but amen. nothing is, I mean, nothing is uh, bulletproof, right? Because humans are humans and sin is uh, still a power at work in this world. Uh, we know that. But uh, there are leaders out there who are facing difficult sure. challenges. So I wondered if we could end with you just just kind of giving a final word of encouragement to the leaders who are out yeah. there and who are listening today. Yeah. And by the way, I think you just said something very profound because, yeah, we mm-hmm. wouldn't teach specifics on how to navigate a lawsuit. But I know that you have a heart, and I hope I have a heart too, to share that there's some competencies we're trying to build in the next generation of leaders. Like, are they people of prayer? So they seek God. Yeah. Are they people yeah. that like research and study God's word and other things and, yeah. and, and humble enough to ask questions? Like if they have that skill set and, and transfer that over to other things, I think that can help in whatever God puts us in the situation. That's right. So, yeah. Um, you know, a couple of things I just I would say. One, you know, maybe you're some listening today. You have a heart for church planting. But maybe you also have the gift of patience and God, you know, the, the Holy Spirit has really given you the fruit of that. And I know it's mm-hmm. fruit, you know, it's the full, full aspect of all the fruit. Um, but I remember Bob Fleming saying revitalizers are church planters with patience. He's a, was our former, our former um, regional directors out here for fellowship. And so and I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I would remind them of a verse that was really helpful through all those times and still is is Exodus 14, 14, which Mm. says, um, uh, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Mm. And there are days where you just need to, when it's in the midst of of the big storm, Jesus often would draw away and get alone with his father. And you have to do that to survive those crises. Um, And I would just encourage you, You'd be reminded, um, the listeners, that the battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Yeah. Um, I also remember, remember during those crises, I wrote in my journal, uh, courage stinks. Like after closing the academy, like everyone's like, right. oh, courage. You have courage. I'm like, no, this yeah. stinks. Like it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we love the Braveheart speech, right? But we forget at the end of the movie, he got disemboweled. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we forget that, you know, Jesus taught in, in a greater way. Jesus taught um, and, and and led with great courage, but he was crucified. Yeah. And yeah. the difference between him and William Wallace was he actually he actually rose from the grave. Yeah. And with our with keeping our eyes on our Savior, there can be resurrection. There can be hope. And resurrection mm-hmm. can happen no matter what situation you're in, when you're overwhelmed. If you just continue to let be reminded of that Exodus 14, 14, and keep your eyes on Jesus, that, you know, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. He fought for us at the cross. He fought for that. He's going to fight for his church, right? You know, you have to, you have to remember you're not, as someone else has said, you're like, I'm not really the lead pastor at Temple. Jesus is. And I can go home and I can say, okay, I did my role today. You take, you just take, you do the rest of it, Jesus, while I'm sleeping. So Yeah. Good. Good. 
Amen. Good word. And uh, thank you for uh, sharing your story. I'm just so um, inspired by uh, your guys' dependence on Christ and your, your, your willingness to, in the midst of difficult times, to, to just press into him and to be still. So uh, it's a fantastic story, and I thank you for sharing it with us. And all, you know, all glory to God for, for the work he's doing in your church and, uh, and in you, my friend. So yeah. thanks for being with us. And may we keep our eyes on the Lord in the good times too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, uh, where, where can they go? Go to your website? Uh, yeah. Templebaptistchurch.ca. They could um, send an email. at info at templebaptistchurch.ca. Um, I'm willing. Uh, people have been so gracious to me through the years. I'm willing to share any of my stuff. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, I'll profit off this. Um, if I can yeah. be a resource to anybody in care, I have a real heart for pastors. All my, most of my uh, family on both sides are, are pastors, and I just love pastors and missionaries and trying to bless them. So anything yeah. I can do to be a help for the church, I'd love to. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for joining us on Church in the North, and uh, we're going to reach out to you in the future and uh, hear a little bit more of your story and and what the Lord is up to at Temple. Thanks, Rob, and God bless you and Briarcrest, and uh, thanks for what you're doing here to help lift up the church in the north in Canada here. Yeah, thank you. All right, blessings, brother. Thanks, bye. You've been listening to the Church in the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 